Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Georgia Pritchett is the author of My Mess is a Bit of a Life, Adventures in Anxiety. Georgia is a multi-award-winning comedy and drama writer. Her writing and production credits include Veep, Have I Got News for You, Smack the Pony, Not Going Out, The Thick of It, and most recently, The Shrink Next Door on Apple TV. She is currently a writer and co-executive producer on HBO's critically acclaimed show, Succession, now in its third season. Welcome, Georgia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss My Mess is a Bit of a Life, Adventures in Anxiety. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. As fellow anxiety sufferer, I was could not wait to pick this book up and see what your adventures were like. <laughs> so tell me, I know in the book, it you have this, I don't know if it was fictitious or not, this encounter with a therapist where you decide to write wow. your feelings down because you had trouble talking about them. And then of course you like loop it all together at the end because you're so good at telling a story. Is that how it happened? Or when did you decide... That is how it happened. Yes. That's exactly how it happened. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how to break it to you, but I'm British. And that is another way of saying socially awkward and emotionally repressed. So, yes, I think, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Words are my thing. I've always loved words. My job is all about words. My life is all about words. And then when it came to, trying to tell someone how I was feeling when I was kind of in crisis I just couldn't find the words and that was a scary thing and and yeah my therapist said write write it down and I thought yeah I'm definitely not going to do that (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so I resisted for quite a long time. And then I just thought, well, I don't know what else to do. So I'll start and let's see if I can do it or not. And yeah, so I ended up kind of writing down all my sort of experiences and of feeling anxious and all the kind of stuff that's happened and how I've coped often badly with it. Um, and yeah, it was it was a surprise. I've spent so many years as a scriptwriter putting words in other people's mouths that to suddenly write something very personal and direct was a kind of horrifying and scary. I don't know what happened. Do you feel any better or worse now that it's out there in the world and people are actually reading it? Yeah, it's weird. I was very worried. Certainly people have known me all my life don't know 80% of what's in the book. So I was concerned. But then I did kind of think, you know, I wonder what my mum and dad will think. But then, of course, because we never talk about anything, we've never had to discuss it. So that's worked out perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they'll be a companion, their book, you know, that they felt like they couldn't talk start a literary feud they could just do their version of events (laughs) it would be great you could just alternate you'd have a whole bookshelf full of alternating dialogue and never actually meet up it would be great (laughs) perfect next uh family therapy suggestion here (laughs) (laughs) well i love how you involved little bits and pieces of your whole career writing how it was being particularly a woman in the male-dominated industry, how you dealt with that. I thought it was so funny when you called yourself, et cetera. You were like, people would (laughs) write in the script notes to like Dan, John, and Larry, et cetera. I was et cetera. (laughs) (laughs) And how we see the whole, the arc of your whole career. And now we, and we know that you've become successful at the end. So when when I was reading it, it was so exciting. I'm like, well, how does she go from the charcuterie counter to succession? <laughs> like that is quite a jump. You know? Yeah. I mean, I miss the charcuterie counter um, in lots of ways. But yeah, I, I suppose you never feel you're successful, do you? But I think what I've been, and I think, you know, as you say, it's a male-dominated industry, but I think women in any walk of life, we learn pretty quickly. We have to be resilient and persistent. And I think I just learned that I I had to be kind of relentless and just keep going and keep going. And kind of lots of obstacles were thrown in my way. And I think in the end, I got to a point where I it was almost kind of a defiant mode, like I'm going to keep writing whatever you say or however hard you try and make it. And so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think where I've got to is is more about persistence necessarily than talent. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm very glad to be uh, where I am. I had no doubt that you would be self-deprecating the whole time. So I I had no illusions that you would be like, yeah, it's really wonderful. So (laughs) you did quickly mention your one Me Too moment where the man you were working with, who was much older, kind of pushes you into an elevator night after night. And the worst part about it, I mean, that obviously in and of itself was a huge problem that that happened. But the the part that kind of broke my heart about it was when you tried to reach out to another woman to help you and and tried to explain, just come into the elevator with me. And she yeah. caught your eye at the end and then she didn't come in. And you're yeah. like, that just about sums up the industry. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does sum up the industry. And I hope, you know, that I'd obviously thought, should I mention it? But I feel like, you know, along with a lot of other stuff in the book, 
it's so easy to think that other people are doing better than you are and to think that no one else is struggling. And I just felt a responsibility to be honest. And I think also, you know, as women, we're sort of trained not to complain ever. And I I felt, you know, I think there's a distinction between complaining and being truthful and being honest. And certainly when I was a younger woman, I would have loved it uh, to have a book to read or for other people to have been um, kind of talking about their difficulties, whether it was, you know, of a sort of personal or sexual nature in the workplace or otherwise. And I think, you know, it's great. More and more women are speaking out. And I hope that means that the landscape is changing for, for the younger women who are coming through now. Well, the career stuff I found very interesting, but also your personal stuff, some of which was truly heartbreaking from your two miscarriages, late stage, not too late, I mean, 12 weeks and the scare you had with your wife about the tumors and Mm -hmm. your, I mean, there were some really big deal, sad stuff in the book that you, you, you quip your way through, right? You, 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 yeah. Tidy it up in in a paragraph, but of course, there's so much pain behind it. And I know that this is your communication style, and it's you know, I <laughs> yes, get it. For better or worse, those are the tools I have, and yeah, yeah I think that's that's right. Uh, that was the only way I had of dealing with things, and and maybe that's why you know you kind of think, well, I can just make a joke of this, and then file it under never open this container of emotion ever again but unfortunately that that my filing system let me down after a number of years and it all came bursting out so yeah it's well the one person the one guy you joked around with on set who called himself a worm wrangler and you go well I suppose I'm a word wrangler you showed (laughs) off that skill a lot especially with the more difficult bits. When you had, I think, your first miscarriage, you said your womb had become a tomb, right? Mm. Something like that, which, yeah. oh my gosh, it just like, it just got to me. I think, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough being a woman. I think we blame ourselves for so many things that are out of our control. And yeah, there's a lot of pressure on women as parents and, you know, and I say in the book, you know, when when my sons got diagnoses, yes. there was certainly implications, if not more than that, from people in the medical world that it had it was my fault in some way or another. And that's that's tough. Yeah, I think everything seems to come. People have a weird <laughs> idea about motherhood, and yeah, it's been tough. And I was very grateful actually when you know the one thing I knew was I had really bonded with my son and I'd loved him from the first moment. So thank goodness I felt sure about that because I think someone telling me that I hadn't done that properly would have been pretty devastating if I had been sort of less sure of that. Yes, yeah, so you have two neuroatypical, is that, that's the mm-hmm. right moniker, right? Yeah. Neuroatypical mm-hmm. children, and you have to talk about the education and finding the right home and how the right school finally enabled you to, you know, have a birthday celebration and all these things that were just out of reach and yeah. how great that was. But 
that is, I mean, there's a lot of stress when things like that happen to kids. It's not Mm -hmm. because it doesn't just happen to them. It's it's everything, right? It's all encompassing. And you obviously, all that manifested itself in a physical way for you too. Yeah. So how was that? Like, what was that? I kept reading this and I was like, she's got to see a different doctor. You know, all the <laughs> were like seeing all the black spots and everything. I was like, could she be having migraines? Like, what is going on? Are you like, should I get her a new doctor? Is she going to figure this out? <laughs> yeah, I think it's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? When, I think it's very, we, we want to think there's some easy physical explanation for any problem. We don't want to think it's an emotional problem. And so, yes, as you say, I saw so many doctors and homeopaths and healers and all kinds of things trying to solve the mystery of what, what was wrong. And, uh, of course, it, it was actually very simple, which is that I hadn't expressed any, any emotion for decades and except for happiness. And that turns out that's not a good plan. So... Yeah, that was that was a learning curve to kind of I really put the hours in trying to trying to solve this mystery. And then, yeah, then I finally went to see a therapist. And then when I got there, I couldn't speak. So, yeah, it was pretty tricky time. Wow. When you look back on it, do you feel like I mean, is there any other way you could have ever coped? Like, do you ever say like, oh, I wish I'd written this down? Or you're just like, well, this is just how I did it. And here this is where we are. and we all cope with things differently and I'm going to have yeah. 57 nosebleeds and she's not. And that's just life, right? I mean, you say you have nosebleeds as, that, as though that's not a very normal way of expressing your emotions, but <laughs> <laughs> that's my main way. Yeah, I think it was interesting actually writing it down. I think when you're in the middle of the chaos of life, it's so easy to think, oh, I should be a better person or partner or mother or writer, whatever it is. And then when you write it down and kind of look back with just a little bit more objectivity, I think you can find a a little shred of compassion for yourself because you kind of think, well, with the kind of information I had, with the resources I had, I was doing my best. You know, it's so easy with hindsight to kind of think, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. But that was kind of what when I was writing the book, you know, I'm really interested in memory and how memory works and the sort of fragmentary nature of it and the impressionistic nature in particular of when you're younger, the memories from when you're a child. And I really wanted to be true to those and not kind of imbue them with any sort of hindsight or kind of adult sensibility. And yeah, so I think, you know, it's interesting as as you go through life, you you sort of observe things, you witness things, you experience things, and so often you don't get the full picture for whatever reason. And I think it's important to kind of be be true to that and also be kind to ourselves and say, look, that that was, you did your best at the time, and maybe now you do it differently. But, you know, everyone's just trying to do their best. So, you know, it's, that's not a crime. Very true. Do you mind if I read a section or so? There were just so many parts that I thought were so awesome. Oh my gosh, the tooth fairy. That was so funny. (laughs) You were having a nosebleed trying to be the tooth fairy and you woke up to like her horrified screams. Oh my gosh, too funny. It's like, it's like 
funny but sad a lot of the time. But anyway, here's your thoughts on writing called My Calling. Back at home, I had to get a job. I had to persuade someone to pay me money to do something. But what could I do? Apparently, wanting to spend 23 hours a day wearing pajamas is not a vocation. And wanting to eat my own body weight in chocolate biscuits is not a calling. But there was a job that would allow me to do both those things and monetize the fact that I spent a lot of time sitting around watching TV writing. (laughs) (laughs) Which is perfect. And I just wanted to read this. You're so funny about your perception of how you look and your body. And oh my gosh, you're, you're just so funny about it. So this is called Ferret. The problem was the way I looked was not the way women in magazines look. I have the shoulders of a Muppet. My freakish, my freakishly long torso coupled with my unusually short legs make me look like an eel is taking a ride on a gerbil. <laughs> the overall effect is more ferret than human. I was bald for years as a child, and when, finally, some scratty hair started to form a thin brush-like covering on my head, it stopped too soon. I'm all forehead, and for as long as I can remember, my brow has been furrowed. There's room for a lot of furrow. My hair is curly. I have no say in what it decides to do. My choices are big hair or small hair. All this is set off by a flat face, a snaggletooth smile, and thin lips. To make things worse, I'm told I dress like someone whose best clothes are in the wash. I I had always imagined that as I emerged into adulthood, my hair would straighten, my legs and fingernails would lengthen, I would develop fashion sense, and I would be able to snap my fingers three times in the way that all cool people do. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, of course, you look, you're totally normally, I mean, from here, you would think you're like some sort of monstrosity. You're a lovely looking, normal looking person. So, oh my gosh. And your reflections on your relationships were really interesting too. And even getting to your relationships and, you know, figuring out who you loved and why and saying like, well, right, I might not like men. I don't know. So, <laughs> Very good English accent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, should I keep going? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. Those were my, some of my favorite bits. <laughs> Mass is not a word you ever want to hear unless you're a nun. I mean, you have so many one-liners in here. I hope that some of these end up in shows that I end up watching because, um, you know, they're really fun. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time do you like kind of laugh to yourself like i had i laughed out loud at many times in this book like when you're writing and you're saying something funny do you kind of chuckle or not i think you're always just trying to kind of make your your friends your imaginary friends not not my imaginary friend who dumped me cruelly and never (laughs) never came back but yeah your friends or your sort of imaginary readers you're just kind of wanting to make them laugh and 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 hoping that they'll be able to relate to to some or all of it. Yeah, it's I think it's a real it's just, you know, it's interesting that I wrote so much of it in lockdown. I think it's kind of a trying to connect, isn't it? Wanting to make someone laugh or or relate is just kind of a need for connection. And I think as I say, when you're a sort of British, socially awkward, quite hermity person that you have to find other ways of reaching out and having human connection and I do mine through writing. Wow well even the way you describe the differences between the British and Americans and their love of winning and and how most of your sports are designed for a polite draw at the end of five days whereas Americans are just like someone has to win at all costs and the award shows you into and oh my gosh I don't know. Anyway, I'm basically just saying how much I liked all of these different bits and pieces, and, and oh, so happy that's so lovely. Shared. Yeah, it's it's. I feel so lucky that I've got to work in America. It's funny being um, British. I kind of thought, oh, I don't know what I'm going to think of those Americans. <laughs> They'll probably be very loud, and and actually, I just completely fell in love with the people and the country, and I think. There's an I'm there's an American trapped inside the body of a repressed British woman here because I actually find it incredibly liberating and exciting how emotionally eloquent Americans are and how honest and how open they are. And I just find it so lovely and appealing and and want to be more like that. So I I love every moment I spend over there and I I'm thrilled that I get to write for American shows, which I, you know, I've grown up watching American shows and that was such a huge influence on why I wanted to become a writer. So, yeah, I feel like I've kind of found my spiritual home. There isn't really a word, is there? You can be an anglophile, but I don't know. I don't think there's a word for loving America. Yeah, it's so rare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's been great for me, very very good for my sanity and I've, I've evolved even a tiny bit I do admit to having feelings and I occasionally talk about them which is all good yes all good your work on succession I just have to ask because I'm almost at the end of the last 
season watching. This is when I ever have time. My husband's and I, my our go-to show, but we have like two more, I think. When you're writing for the show and you're in a writer's room and all of that, this is probably a really stupid question, but do some people have more of the character's voice or do you all, like, do you veer more heavily towards one character or another? Or do you all just like, how does it work? Yeah, it's funny enough, I've just come from the succession room. We're writing season four at the moment. And it's been really nice because of the pandemic. We finished writing season three just before the very first lockdown in 2020. <laughs> Time is blurred. So I've really, yeah, it's almost two years since we've seen each other and and talked about the characters. So I've really missed them and I've missed the characters. And I think at the beginning, I mean, we all write for everyone and we all we're very involved in every episode. We we plot it all out together and then you might take away an episode and write it, but we'll sort of add lines to each other's and it's very sort of organic and collaborative. But I must say, as time goes on, it's just such a joy when you write a kind of long-running TV series that you get to spend so much time with these characters and you get to know them. And so I'm, I have developed this secret soft spot for Roman, which I don't know if I should admit to, but... It's okay. It's all over your Instagram. I, I, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Okay. Yeah, the cat, if you, if the cat is out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I just love him because I think he loves... He's one of the few characters that loves... He loves his dad and he loves his siblings and he loves Jerry in a yes. very inappropriate way. <laughs> but I just... I think it's, you know, at the beginning, it's very difficult because you're just thinking these awful, rich, white men who are sort of destroying democracy and the world. And But, you know, we've we've been able to sort of spend so much time with them that you get under their skin and you kind of work out, you know, what what their deal is and, and how, you know, and Roman just strikes me as a really sort of damaged and tragic figure who's been so kind of neglected and abused that he hasn't he can't have sort of regular relationships so the closest he can get is this weird thing he's got going on with Jerry and yeah so I I always enjoy writing him but they're all fantastic I mean my goodness what a cast they're just extraordinary aren't they totally they're all amazing I know we were I was I was talking to my husband. I was like, do you think this counts as abuse? Do you think this counts as like verbal abuse or neglect mm. or whatever? Like, how would you characterize? I mean, he's not being nice. You know, they have their dad's being terrible, but like, is it mm. abuse? How would you know? He was like, yes, yes, mm. it's abuse. So I'm glad. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's intense. And, but you know, they're, they're fantastic people, you know, the cast. I think, you know, when you're a script writer, it's so different from just, from which I could never do. I could never write a, a novel because I don't know enough adjectives and I can't <laughs> describe things. I don't want to describe things. It's sad. It seems really difficult. And, you know, when you're a script writer, you can sort of, you, you have to collaborate with the actors, basically. It's not, you can't just write in a vacuum. It's It's a relationship with the actors. And certainly writing for Succession has been just a dream because, all of the actors bring some so much to to the to the role that it's just a, a fantastic experience to kind of write something and then see it elevated to a whole other level by these incredible people. Very cool. So what is coming next for you? So we're writing season four 
at the moment. And then I'm writing, there was a really good podcast over here called Tunnel 29. I don't know if you heard about that, which was a true story about some young engineering students who dug a tunnel under the Berlin Wall in the 60s and rescued some people from East Berlin. Mm. So I'm adapting that with the director of Chernobyl Mm. and with the producers of Chernobyl. And then I've got this thing I'm developing for the wonderful Julie Louis-Dreyfus. We've been trying to think of something to do together since we since Trump put an end to beep. Not the worst thing he did, I know, but one of the many <laughs> bad things he did. So, yeah, we've got something cooking. So I hope that that comes to fruition because she's such an incredible performer. Amazing. That would be great. I love her. You, I know you mentioned in your acknowledgments holding her coat while she got, while she beat overcame cancer. cancer yeah. Beat cancer, yes. Yeah. You were the wordsmith. So. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to say thanks because you easily could have not shared any of this, right? That's how you were going about life. And it's, it, it yeah. seems almost highly unlikely that I would be reading about your interior life. (laughs) I have. And it's, you know, it makes me think and it makes people feel less alone and it's funny and entertaining. And I'm so glad you decided to share it. So it's really awesome. Thank you. I I do. Yes. I have a fear that, that people will say, what were you thinking? So it's very nice when, uh, when, People don't say that. And yeah, it's been fantastic talking to you. I love your podcast. I love your bookshelves. Thank you. I love your typewriter. Thank you. That was my grandmother's. Oh, it's great. When she passed away, they were like, you know, is there anything you want from her apartment? And I was like, I want the typewriter. That's it. I have to have it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you. It was nice chatting. Thank you. So great to meet you, Zibby. You too. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.